Hey, this is Tony Boss Bowling coming to you from the Lincoln Attic Podcast. Hey, hey, it's ODB, the Lincoln Attic, back with another episode of Lincoln Attic Podcast. If you're a return listener, thanks so much for coming back. If you're new, make sure you smash the like or follow or subscribe, depending on the application that you're using. If you're on the web or YouTube, tap subscribe. Really appreciate it. Lincoln Attic Podcast is brought to you by our two main sponsors, Devious Customs and Colorado Custom Wheels. More on them in just a little bit. This episode is a topic that I've been wanting to cover for some time. And the main topic is, of course, the title of this episode. Uh, You may have seen the thumbnail uh, on YouTube uh, or the artwork posted in social media. But I want to take a deep dive into the cooling systems on these MEL, which stands for Mercury, Edsel, Lincoln, really the 430s, the 462s, I guess really even the 460. I'm going to also give some tips on things that you can do, or if you're thinking about going, hey, I need to do this on my car, you know, what else are some of those downstream effects or, or, or components that you could change? Now, this is really going to apply to like kind of a true enthusiast out there uh, that may maybe you recently purchased one of these cars or oftentimes in social media, I'll, I'll see people comment and go, hey, it's my dream car. I'm looking for one. I want to buy one, right? So you set that goal and maybe a few years or, you know, five, 10 years down the road, you look to purchase one of these. Maybe you'll find this content and you'll find it helpful. So it's kind of geared towards, you know, someone that has one of these cars or in the future is looking to, to obtain one. Now, uh, who this doesn't really apply for is really anybody that's going to do a motor swap. I guess you could say that some of these things apply because really when you look at a cooling system for a vehicle, especially a classic car or something that's you know built in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, they're they're typically the same, you know. Even almost all the way going up to now, you know, there's there is more technology in these cars, but uh, nowadays. But when you look back at the old school stuff, it's a kind of a basic concept. But of course, a Lincoln is a Lincoln. So we'll talk about on this episode some of those things that you need to think about, some of those things that you may need to remedy in your car, and some of the negative effects like vapor lock and whatnot that can and will happen based upon your cooling system challenges. So really this one's mostly cooling system, but it will also tie in, like I said, some fuel tips. I want to thank our title sponsor, Devious Customs. If you want custom parts, maybe you're looking to uh, have someone build your car, build your dreams, uh, visit Devious Customs with an S.com. You can also visit the website uh, if you're looking to buy parts. So you may go, hey, Jason, I'm not looking to build some high-end car, but I want to replace my window switches, and I don't know what to do. Uh, DeviousCustoms.com, he has uh, under kits and parts, if you go under uh, Shop Lincolns, you will see all of the components. Some stuff is like windshields. Some stuff is car audio upgrades. Other things are a little bit more you know, maybe for someone that's doing a resto mod with like an LS swap or a coyote swap, things like that, uh, certainly hit up deviouscustoms.com. Also, our other title sponsor is Colorado Custom Wheels. I know you may be saying, hey, I don't want custom wheels on my car. Well, have you checked out coloradocustom.com? Because if you go under 
uh, all wheels, and then premium, you're going to see that they have the Lincoln replica wheels. It's the perfect complement for your Lincoln. Get rid of those old hubcaps that go flying off potentially while you're driving. You can actually purchase a billet aluminum wheel in various sizes that looks just like the original Lincoln hubcap. They've got them in smaller sizes like with mine, a 17-inch. Of course, they go up from there all the way up to, I'd imagine, a 22, uh, if not bigger. So uh, check them out, coloradocustom.com. Let Michael and team know that ODB, the Lincoln Addict, sent you. Now, I like to kick off the previous episode recap just to reinforce, maybe if you're a new listener and you go, hey, I want to listen to this one, go back. There's 33 previous episodes, including the last one where I kind of did a deep dive into the differences between sedans and convertibles. There wasn't a lot of feedback that I received on the episode, you know, post uh, producing it and and getting it out there. So I think for the most part, it was kind of like something I wanted to slice and dice. Other people enjoyed it. Some people had chimed in, I think in the Facebook group and kind of said, Hey, this or that, or they enjoyed the episode. I certainly appreciate people taking the time to give the feedback, but With that update, I really went through 61 to 67, kind of talking about the differences between a sedan and a convertible. Obviously, at first glance, you know, you often know, hey, this one has a retractable roof. This one doesn't. But, of course, I go down the bunny trail of what else is different? What else were there different features and things like that? If you haven't already checked out the episode, please do so via whatever podcast app you're listening on. Or if you're on YouTube, you could just go to the channel and uh, go and find those different videos or audio shows. Uh, Oftentimes, I'm also asked, hey, what's the easiest way to go back and listen? If you're on an iPhone or Android device, you can download the Podbean app. Podbean is technically my host, so you can go in there and you can listen. You know, Even if there's 100 episodes, you could go all the way back to the beginning And you can comment in there, you can like and things like that through the Podbean app. The previous episode recap is brought to you by our family over at Griot's Garage. I'm often asked, hey, what products do you use to detail your custom car or your stock car? And the answer is simple. It's Griot's with an S, G-R-I-O-T-S, garage.com. Very, very good people. Right now, they have a sale going on, 20% off liquid care products until 10-3. So if you're an early listener of this episode, hit up griots with an garage.com and uh, save some money. The holidays are coming. Oftentimes, people want some cleaning products or different packs, if you will, for their ride. Hit them up. Let them know that Lincoln Addict Podcast sent you. Okay, next we got the Lincoln Life updates. This is usually just kind of a hodgepodge of anything that I see in what we refer to as kind of the Lincoln community, I think is the the term that I know David Escalante and, and a lot of us kind of use to say, hey, the, the Lincoln community. Uh, the Lincoln community for years was kind of the LCOC. You'll often hear that acronym, which stands for Lincoln Continental Owners Club. That dates all the way back to the 50s. I think it was 53, if I remember correctly. So they're celebrating their 70th anniversary uh, going from memory this year. So big shout out to all of those guys. I know for many years, you know, you had kind of the purists versus these, you know, the younger customizer crowd. And it was this kind of line in the sand. And and I've I've never actually seen any 
animosity. Uh, I've said this before when Tony, uh, Robbie Reynolds and his gal, as well as uh, myself and and um, my wife, we all went down. Man, it was what five years ago to Bradenton, and we went to one of the LCOC events, and we just had a great time. A lot of good people there, met some good folks. But anyways, um, again, I want to give a shout-out to everybody. And, uh, you know, where I was going with that is for a long time, kind of the Lincoln stuff was centered around the LCOC magazine, which you can buy into, by the way. Uh, I've mentioned this before, uh, lcoc.org. You can go there and you can subscribe to their publication, but there's also the LCOC region. So if you hover over that, they've got – the um, region map, just different newsletters and stuff like that for the different states and or region. So good people. For a long time, that's kind of the main source. And then they had the LincolnForum.net, which is still a thing that I highly promote, which is good stuff. But then from there, you know, now you have Facebook groups, you have YouTube channels, you have different enthusiasts uh, like myself that are producing content. And then, oh, by the way, now you got a podcast. So there's been this steady incline of content over the course of time, and that kind of falls under leak and life updates. And that's where, you know, if I see things that I want to share, I'll share them here. I would encourage you, though, if there's something that you know about, an event coming up, or just something in general, it could be a movie that you know, that you remember, that you love, or something that ties into these 60 Lincolns, uh, shoot me an email. It's lincolnaddictpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you can't remember that, maybe you're driving down the road, you can, uh, on Instagram, and I'm sure on Facebook too, but on Instagram, you can tap on the little uh, underneath my bio email, and it will open up the email, and you can shoot me an email and say, hey, what's going on? Or, hey, check this out. Uh, I often will have people that will send me cool stuff, right? And I've had this for many, many years where... You know, someone will be at a restaurant. There'll be a Lincoln inside the restaurant. There's a, a pizza place in Kentucky where they have a 68 sedan. I think that's totally cut. Um, unfortunately, it's cut up, and it's basically like you're di- inside the diner, inside the pizza the pizza joint. Uh, you know, stuff like that is very cool. Although, yeah, I mean, we all look at it and go, man, I wish it was still on the road. It is what it is. We can't stop everything that's happened in the past, right, or any of it. But we can kind of enjoy, and it all falls under what I call the Lincoln Life stuff, right? The Lincoln umbrella of cool stuff, whether it's a car that's on a wall or it's a fun fact or it's a movie. Shoot me an email, lincolnatticpodcast at gmail.com. But for this episode, ironically enough, I don't have a lot to share. I'll say this. I know the Raddies and Suicide Kings, as I mentioned on the last episode, those guys, uh, those different crews, friends, whatever you want to call them. I know um, Suicide Kings, you know, that that club, I will say, they really represented well uh, a couple of weeks back at Cruising for a Cure. I went to that show at um, OC Fair, I think it's technically the location, uh, a year ago. And uh, what an amazing hot rod, automobilia, just event in general. There's Stuff from all makes and models, including, of course, Lincolns with these different groups. Some solo riders as well, I'm sure. But for the most part, I saw that both of their crews were out there. I know the Raddies, they did their Rat Fest, which I think always falls on that Sunday. 
And I did want to make it out, but this year I'm going to be going out to the SEMA show for a few days that first week in November. So, you know, I went to a lot of shows this year. I went to a bunch of local stuff, and I kind of had to slice the dice and go, you know, I can't really make the California trip two years in a row, kind of trying to bank some time. So hopefully the plan is to make it back out next year, hit Cruising for a Cure, hang out with Suicide Kings, hang out with the Raddies and do the damn thing. But that's going to be hopefully next September 2024. But those are a few things that I've seen. I know uh, Suicide Slabs, speaking of another Lincoln crew, they're they're gearing up for what they refer to as their annual November cruise that ties into the fact that uh, JFK, unfortunately, was... um, you know, didn't make it past that trip. Of course, you know, he went to uh, Houston and then the morning of uh, November 22nd of 63, of course, they go over to Dallas and they, you know, the, the one of the most infamous days in our history, of course, the Suicide Slabs, what they do, because that's kind of right there in their backyard, naturally, they kind of follow the motorcade and they kind of do that. I do believe there's going to be some changes to that are set up because I think the crew that used to throw that event, uh, someone had told me, maybe Tony did, that they were looking to kind of do some changes or maybe not have the crews. But I know Richard and team, my understanding from a post that I read, that uh, they were looking to say, hey, here's where it's going to go down. So if you want more information on that, I would encourage you search Facebook or get into the Suicide Slabs Facebook group. Of course, they're going to share the information there. And if you're in anywhere near Dallas or probably in the state, or I'm sure there's going to be people from coming from different areas, uh, certainly get with them and uh, bring your car down uh, or bring whatever you got, I guess. I, I don't know if it's open to everything. I would assume so because I think in the past it technically was. But uh, just wanted to give them a shout-out and let people know to check that out. Now, if you want to come to a cruise where JFK visited, and thankfully he was able to make it into Tampa and out of Tampa safely, that's going to be on November 18th of 2023, which coincidentally this year is the 60th anniversary, unfortunately, of JFK slain uh, on 11-18 of 63 JFK was here 60 years ago to the day, so it's going to be ironic that we're going to be doing our cruise on that Saturday, and it marks the anniversary of JFK's visit here again on 11-18 of 63. I do believe after he came to Tampa, I think he went back to Washington uh, for a few days, and then that's when they made the planned trip to um, Houston and then over to Dallas. They were going to the Trademark, which I think had just opened. It was a fairly new building at that time. There was a speech that he had planned and all of that. I constantly watch videos and read books and just a lot of history. And again, if you followed this podcast at all, that's kind of where the lineage that I have that goes back to the love for the Lincolns was, you know, really seeing a lot of that footage and going, what car is that? And kind of just being intrigued by some of that stuff. So that's where everything kind of goes back and intersects, if you will, uh, for me. But Those are a few things going on. I'm going to be posting more information about the 6th annual Tampa Kennedy cruise that is going down 11, 18, 60, or uh, 2023. In addition to that, um, we do meet up at 10 a.m. Eastern time. So 
what we do is we meet up for about an hour and a half and we kind of just hang out and we kind of mingle. Some people run into the mall to get some coffee. There's a Chick-fil-A in there. You know, there's a few things. We kind of slap hands, get to know everyone. Some of the usual suspects come out each year. I know Chris Dunn, shout out to him, and Lincoln Land. They make it out each year. Uh, hopefully trying to get even more people, but we're hearing people are going to be coming from South Florida, from Georgia, from other states. So I'm certainly excited about it. Hopefully we'll get the VIP treatment again if Lou can secure us some parking spots after the cruise. So if you think we meet at 10, we peel out of there about 1130. We cruise down Bayshore. We come back Bayshore. Uh, This time we're going to cruise a little bit through downtown by where JFK, where the motorcade went, actually down kind of Franklin Street. And then we're going to make our way over to the famed Tampa Post card where we all park. We take a group photo. We hang out a few minutes. And then some people peel away and go home, finish their day doing whatever they had planned. Or what we're going to do is we're going to actually going to get together again and go to lunch. We're still trying to kind of plan through that uh, to see what's going to work for everyone. But we'll pick a good spot. Uh, everybody can cruise over there, park the cars together, get some more photo ops eat some food, and then for those that want to peel away, boom, you're good to go. And I think we're trying to get some people together that night as well. So more to come, but certainly if you want to make it about at 10 a.m. to 2, I think is a good time period. Or you could just do like the 11.30, you know, on the road for about an hour, hour and a half, you know, the cruise down Bayshore, the cruise back down to the postcard, you know, you could slice and dice it either way. The last thing I'll say about our cruise is it is open to all makes and models. Uh, I think some people will typecast us as just Lincolns, but it's not. Uh, Certainly, if you've got a C10 or you've got anything classic, I mean, really, hypothetically, if you wanted to just follow behind in a regular car and take photos or hang out or get to know the people, certainly that's on the table as well. But, uh, hell, rent something if you don't have something or jump in one of the cars, I'm sure. Uh, If you get to know the people, you know, someone will give you a lift. Let us know what you're thinking. On Facebook, you got the 6th Annual Tampa Kennedy Cruise. That's where I'm going to continue to post information. I put that event page out there about a year in advance. So those those are always out there as that marker in the sand. So more to come there. Thinking Life Updates is brought to you by our family at Steel Rubber, S-T-E-E-L-E, rubber.com. They are the best weather stripping in the industry Their tagline is weather stripping done right. And uh, oftentimes we hear there's no parts available for these 60s Lincolns. That couldn't be further from the truth. There's not a lot. However, there is weather stripping. Steelrubber.com. You can select your year, make, and model. So sedan or convertible or in some years the coupe, of course. And um, you can see all the parts that they have available. And I often talk about If you are kind of investing in this car, maybe you want to enjoy it for some years and then eventually you want to sell it, you know, keep the receipts, take photos and things like that of the installation of these kind of parts because, you know, the steel rubber not only keeps the moisture out, also keeps the ride quiet. So the more you invest in these cars, typically over the course of time, you're going to get your money back, at least in my opinion. They have a Body weather strip kit, as an example, for a 64 Lincoln Continental sedan, uh, that's 10% off. So you're going to save well over $200. Uh, again, steel, S-T-E-E-L-E, rubber.com. 
Let them know Lincoln Attic sent you. All right, next we have Lincoln Sales. And if you recall, recently I kind of transitioned this just to kind of talk about where the marketplace is at and looking at recent sales, looking at some of the trends, maybe talking about a car here or there that is up for sale. When I get started here, I want to remind everyone, for the most part, with little exception, you have to get eyes on these cars. You have to. Uh, do your due diligence at any point. You know, you can oftentimes reach out to the Lincoln community. You can post in the Facebook groups that are out there. And you can ask people, hey, do you know anything about this car? You can do a VIN search. You can check the Lincoln registry to see if uh, if it's ever been registered there. Uh, I know the Lincoln registry may or may not give you a lot, but sometimes it'll give you a little insight into, oh, it was added in the database back on such and such date, things like that. So certainly I see cars that pop up in some of these channels that I'm going to talk about, including Meekum and Barrett-Jackson. Mostly Barrett-Jackson I've seen where I'll know of a car from it being sold or it being what I call punted. I know Richard Rawlings would often kind of use that term, you know, punt the car, you know, you get it. Eh, it's a little bit more than you want to mess with, so you punt it, right? You punt the project, you get something else. I mean, there's a lot of flippers out there, let's be honest. Uh, if you don't believe me, I've said this before, check out Uncle Tony's Garage. Not my buddy Tony Boss Bolin, uh, but there's a guy named uh, Uncle Tony's Garage, old Mopar hot rod guy. Worked at some of the magazines, I think Mopar Magazine or something back in the day. And he has a buddy that does some pretty cool restorations, really talented guy. I think his name's Kiwi, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. But he talks a lot about the flippers, you know, people out there that are doing these, uh, as I said last time, lipstick, jo lip lipstick jobs. And I'm not trying to throw every builder or every restorer or everybody under the bus. You and I both know you could go on Facebook or you can go on YouTube and you can find someone that's going to complain about an auction house, any auction house for the most part. None of them are going to be able to be perfect. If you think about what an auction's doing is they are a marketplace to allow for someone to sell their car, right? And I don't know all the ins and outs of what they check and things like that. There are checks and balances. You know, you got to have a title or there's got to be title work and there's those type of things. But if you think about it, if you own an auction house, your goal is to bring as many clients in and sell as many cars as possible for the highest dollar amount, especially if you're getting a commission and you walk away in a day or a month or excuse me, a day or a weekend and you know, you've sold, you know, five hundred million dollars worth of cars and you're getting a cut of that, that's your goal. That's the business model, right? Uh, do they want to look at every single car and go, well, you know, it's got this one little teeny tiny hole or the whole floorboard's rusted out or whatever? You know, if you really think about it, do they really care? You know, probably not. Now I will say this. I think bring a trailer, even though I'm not associated with them, they are changing the game because I I know someone that tried to list a car on there and they are very, they scrutinize a certain type, you know, they're looking for a certain type of car to hit their marketplace, right? A certain kind of collector car, a certain kind of car that's going to, they top out at a single fee last I had checked. Um, so I think that's kind of game changing to a certain extent, but 
they don't just list anything. Now, that in itself doesn't mean that they're going and going, okay, put this car in a lift. You know, is there a rust? Is there a lipstick job? I mean, certainly stuff can get by even on bring a trailer, but I say all of that, okay? People have told me before, hey, your videos have helped me. The podcasts have helped me. Hey, I found a car. This is what I, you know, I knew what to look for, okay? Just know you got to get eyes on these cars, the only exception I could ever say to that is if you knew, like if you had a friend in California that had this awesome car and you've ridden in it and you've seen it and you know how amazing this car is and you know he or she decides they're going to sell it, you know, that may be not, you know, that, that may be a, a car that you don't have to put eyes on because you've already put eyes on it 10 times, you know, or you've ridden in the car, or you know, the history of the car. Uh, there's a, a car that I was going to talk about during the Lincoln Life updates, but I'll, I'll cover it at some point during this episode, that literally um, hit a different Tony, so not Tony Bolin, not Uncle Tony's Garage, but a different Tony. Uh, he's got a YouTube channel, Tony's Car Care. He just did a video in the last week of a twenty or a 2,800-mile 64 Lincoln Continental sedan, okay? And, like, that might be a car depending on how far it was away, like if you catch wind of something sometimes and it's, you know, it's, it's something very rare like that. And it's been sitting even for 50 years, you might just go, I'm going to buy it. I'm just going to do it. Right. It's been sitting 50 years, you know, in a garage. Best case scenario is you still get eyes on it. You know, you want to know what you're working with unless you've got an unlimited budget. And that's what it all goes back to. Some of these lipstick jobs and some of these cars that are just not nice, they can generally all be br- br- brought back. But again, do you want to buy a car and then put a hundred grand in it or more, or sometimes obviously less? Uh, it really depends. I know sometimes, you know, I throw numbers around and people go, oh, does it really cost that much? Well, it depends. It depends where you live. It depends on what your skill level. Uh, can you do some of the stuff yourself? Just like building the house, you know, you could save a lot of money building your own pool or your own house if you know how to do it. But most of us, that's not our cup of tea. So I digress <laughs> and I go back. If you go on Mecum, M-E-C-U-M dot com, you can uh, go to auctions. You can select uh, under recent results, Dallas 2023, and that's going to land you there. And then you can type in uh, a make model or a keyword or keywords and you can hit enter or I think it auto filters. And if I type in Lincoln, the word You've got 6, 9, 12, 15, call it 20 cars. And um, now there's not 20 60s Lincolns. I don't really cover the 40s or 50s or 70s or 80s just for sake of the scope that we have here. Uh, So just briefly, if you want a visual of this, you can go to YouTube and type in Lincoln Addict. And I did a visual wrap-up going through the cars, and then I do a preview of Barrett-Jackson because – as I said at the beginning, these auction places, their goal, obviously, their business model, there's nothing wrong with making money. Their business model is to make money. So the more events they have, the more cars that go across the block, the more vehicles that sell, the more money that this said business or corporation makes, right? So Mecham added Dallas for 2024. Barrett-Jackson added New Orleans New Orleans for 2020, or I said 2024, for 2023, these events were within a couple weeks. So this Dallas was the 20th through the 23rd, which was literally last weekend. 
But here's what we got. A 66. Uh, the bid goes on. So, you know, you'll see that if you've ever watched the Mecham auctions. I like watching the Mecham ones. I like watching the Barrett Jackson ones. I don't watch them religiously, but I do like watching them. And I remember years ago going, what does like the bid goes on? Does that mean two guys are fighting over it or, you know, they're within a few thousand dollars of it and they're trying to get the guy to come up a little bit or the auction house to go, okay, we'll, you know, waive the fees on this one. You know, all kinds of handshake, uh, you know, back-end deals are being cut sometimes and, and whatnot. But my understanding is the bid goes on. Those four words with the dot, 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 that kind of means that it just didn't sell. So if uh, here's the key that you have to do, though which I forgot to do a second ago, is you have to log in. So Barrett-Jackson and Mecham, they let you see the results if you log in. So I just clicked log in that quick. Here's the cool thing about Mecham. It shows you, because you can do a reserve with Mecham, you cannot do that with Barrett-Jackson, the 66 Lincoln Continental Convertible, which at least from the photos I thought appeared to be a pretty nice car, uh, 53000 So it got to 53 k did not sell. A 63 uh, convertible with a 64 front end, so we'll call it the 64 grill, on custom wheels, uh, got to 100,000 and did not sell. Uh, so that was kind of a surprise to me. You know, you start to get the six figures, you know, custom wheels, different front end. You know, I, sometimes I kind of go, well, how much were you looking to maybe think you were going to get? I mean, 100 grand is, is 100 grand. That was a bid goes on. The biggest surprise, though, for Mecham to me was a 65 Lincoln Continental convertible triple black. Black top, black interior, black paint. At least from the photos, it showed well. Now, I do know one of our supporters, and thanks to him, he was boots on the ground. He said, I think if I remember correctly from his YouTube comment, that it kind of felt like it needed some stuff, like it was more of an original car. But man, I I hope that we're at a point where you could get an all original convertible for forty one grand. Uh, to me, that, that's a great deal. Sixty five, very sought after. Black. Who doesn't want a black Lincoln? I don't. <laughs> most people, most people that kind of say, and some of you out there, there's nothing wrong with this. You go, hey, it's my dream car. I want a car. I want a black Lincoln. You gonna paint this car black? I get that all the time. No, I'm not gonna paint it black. But a black 65 Lincoln Continental convertible that looked, for the most part, pretty nice. $40,700. Someone, I think, got a good deal on that one. Uh, As long, and I gave this disclaimer on my YouTube video, as long as it's not rusted out underneath. If that car was rusted out at 40 grand, it's a no-go. So, again, big what-if, right? A 63... Sedan, airbagged, custom wheels. Ready for this? Fifty-one thousand seven hundred. Real nice color, nice set of wheels. You know, if you're into, you want something with a little bit of a stance, uh, low with a nice set of wheels, kind of that gangster look that everybody always uses the G word there. Fifty-one seven, pretty cool. Uh, that, by the way, had an LS three. Okay, so not all original. LS3, V8, automatic trans, air ride. Uh, I do kind of throw this out there, even though it's on a 60s. A 79 Lincoln Continental Batmobile replica, 154000 It was a fiberglass body autographed by Adam West and Burt Ward. Pretty cool. 
it's crazy when people start going, well, I think the market's going to cool off, and you see a guy pull out, or a business, or whoever bought it, 154k for a fiberglass Batmobile replica. You know, sometimes the movie and the pop culture nostalgia outrules everything. A 64 Lincoln Continental convertible. I did a review on this one again on YouTube. Got to 100k, and the bid goes on. I would think at 100, you just let it go. But I think maybe some people are holding out. Maybe they go, well, I have a backup plan. If it doesn't sell at Mecham, I'll take it to Barrett. But at Barrett, you can't do. No reserve, and I don't know that you could get in that quick, so I don't know what the end game was. Maybe market is cooling off. And then I know the guy, Gary, that had the 69 Lincoln Continental sedan with a huge billet wheel, uh, huge offset on the back, 6.2 LS3 V8, of course, uh, airbagged, custom car, but really kind of nice paint, original style interior, all original, I think. Uh, that got to sixty grand and did not sell. So I know Gary was kind of holding out. It looked like through social media when he had it posted, he wanted some a big number for it. Uh, so I hope he gets it. I mean, I hope all these people get the money they want. It's just sometimes it's like the reality of it isn't going to. Ha- you know, it's like, hey, you might go, I want to sell my house for a million dollars, and somebody goes, well, it's worth three hundred thousand. Someone may come along and pay you a million, but what's the likelihood of that, right? So again, it's not a negative towards any of these folks uh, or these owners or whatnot. Again, I always want people to get the money. Uh, I know my friend John Lyman at Stinkin' Lincoln, you know, he has a 64 Lincoln Continental sedan. Speaking of sales that he is willing to sell, it has 26,000 ish, 25,000 miles on it. Pretty much. I think every feature contour, adjustable individual bucket seats, blah, blah, blah. And I, I think he's like around, like he wants 90 for it. And you go, well, is it worth 90? Well, how many are that low miles? We'll talk about one later that we just found out about. But there's nothing wrong, in my opinion, with asking that much money. I mean, it's a rare car. I mean, this thing is like super nice. I mean, super nice. There's plenty of people out there that have that kind of money. It's just, can you get it in front of the right person? And does the person want it that bad to go, okay, boom, here's 90 grand. Uh, certainly a normal sedan isn't worth that in my opinion, right? Just a normal run of the mill sedan in XYZ color. But why can't he ask that much? He certainly can and and he has. So those are the few there that I covered. And again, I know some of you watch the YouTube channels uh, or the YouTube channel. I really appreciate that. Uh, but obviously that was a little extra there that uh, that I gave. Now we can go to BarrettJackson.com. If you go to their site, you can do the same thing. You can drill down to the New Orleans auction. You can type in the word Lincoln, and you're going to see there's a handful of cards. I'm not going to go through all these because I hit upon some of this in the YouTube video. There's a 67 convertible, a 66 Roadster which is kind of crazy, a 65 pretty awesome resto mod that's been around a while that has a Coyote. There's a 66 custom Lincoln on Detroit Steel Wheels. There's also a 66 blue convertible on custom wheels. So there's definitely some things coming up there, so I'll be anxious. That's going to be this coming weekend, so if you're listening Uh, kind of a day one listener, the auction started today on September 29th. So more to come on that. 
again, I would ask if you have an opportunity, um, go to YouTube and type in Lincoln Addict. You can also click or tap on the bell notification and you'll be, you'll basically get like, let's say you're, you know, some of us watch videos on our iPhone. You'll get the notification. Hey, so-and-so posted, Lincoln Addict posted a video. If you, uh, are subscribed and like let's say you stream YouTube like I do through the Apple TV you'll see it kind of come up in your feed but if you tap on the notification bell you'll get notified when I post new videos now although September is wrapping up now I've spent a good amount of time this month really not only producing a couple of episodes of the podcast but going through some of these cars and I know for some it's kind of the same old you kind of go hey it's you know it's entertaining for some others. Maybe it's not, but the good thing is I have tried to do some quicker reviews, not just the deep dive. So it kind of gives a mix. And then not only is it my perspective of what I'm seeing, but it's also a little bit of insight to different things that you have to think about with these cars. So that's, uh, Barrett Jackson there. And I would say some of the recent reviews I've done actually are on eBay, so, you know, eBay is quickly becoming not my favorite place, you know, to, to look at cars because I really like to bring a trailer site, as I've said many, many, many times. But, of course, eBay is still a big outlet. I'll give you an example right now. There's a 67 on there that I want to do a review on that has a day and 21 hours left. It's at 30000 okay? And it looks like, from just a quick scan through like a real nice car, you know, so I'm anxious to kind of see, we've seen the 66, 67s creep up in prices. Like I said, this one looks really nice, at least from the photos I can see. There was a professional mechanical restoration, including uh, a company that did an auto restoration, 84,000 spent in receipts. So pretty cool stuff there. Again, you know, these cars, Seemingly, I know a lot of people go, well, there's not many of them left. It seems like they're popping up all over the place um, in different stages, right? Some are need everything. Others, like this one, has 84 grand invested in it. Let's say the cars were 20 to 30 plus the 84. You're already over 100,000. Sometimes you can you can find something. You just have to be patient and you have to be diligent, I think, is, is another good word to use. The Lincoln Continental Sales from ODB, the Lincoln Addict. The updates are brought to you by our family at AccuAir, A-C-C-U Air, that's AccuAir.com. They have the best in air suspension packages, especially as it relates to their uh, software and their hardware that basically works hand-in-hand to allow for your car to auto level uh, to a particular preset ride heights. So one, two, three, you can air your car out on the show. Or let's say you just want to have it where it has a little bit lower stance. Uh, you can always do that as well with you know adjustability through either your phone with the app, which is crazy, or through the uh, famous touchpad that they sell. Uh, check them out, AccuWare.com, good people. Okay, next we got Lincoln's in movies, TV shows, music videos, and why not, album covers. This one... I'm going to post on social media and see if anybody remembers it. It's a film called Top Copy. Top Copy? T-O-P-K-A-P-I. 
Now, this film is from 64, and it features a 63 Lincoln Continental convertible. Real nice car. This film, a lot of these older films are hard to find. You, you can't watch them anywhere and whatnot. You can oftentimes, and this one, there's there's clips on eBay, or excuse me, on YouTube, uh, Top Copy, T-O-P-K-A-P-I, 1964. This film, though, was, um, I think part of the premises is they, they travel to Istanbul, if I can say that right, and there is a 63 white convertible. And you got to think about this, you know, filming in 60, probably late 63, 64, because I think it came out September of 64, September 2nd, maybe. You know, this car was brand new at that time. So I love looking back at these films, TV shows and whatnot, as I've always said, uh, to get a perspective of how they looked brand new. It's crazy to me. It's hard to find photos even from that era of like a dealership or inside a dealership with the brand new Lincolns, right? I only have a few and I've shared those over the course of time, of course, kind of collecting those images. But being able to go back to, you know, these cars or this car may not even have that many miles on it. And the cool thing to me was where they were filming. It looked like it was in, you know, not in America. Uh, let's just say it was in Istanbul that they would have had to ship the car there and things like that. So, you know, the logistics is kind of cool. But uh, check it out, uh, T-O-P-K-A-P-I, Top Copy, is how you say it, according to Google. Um, I had to double-check that. But there's a lot of different cars in it, including a 53 Volkswagen uh, uh, car, which is kind of cool. But the one that caught my eye, of course, was the 63 Lincoln Continental Convertible, uh, which I just totally dig. Cool scenery, you know, again, doesn't look like it was filmed here. And uh, it gets a decent amount of views um, or, you know, sights, if you will, in the movie. Let me know what you guys think. Lincoln's in the movies, TV shows, music videos, and album covers brought to you by our family again at Devious Customs. DeviousCustoms.com if you want to check out some of the parts that they're manufacturing for these Lincoln convertibles and sedans. Oh, by the way, don't forget if you are looking for decoded digital gauges, they also, uh, Jeff is a verified uh, dealer, so he can sell you the gauges for your car. They make them for the earlier Lincoln's as well as the later model in the 60s. So, DeviousCustoms.com. Next, we got Smuggler's Blues updates, as well as Rita Hayworth, and not a lot to share. I did go to our friend John in Florida, South Florida. He has a, a picnic called Trucks and Cheeseburgers, and it's more heavy, of course, based upon the name, on trucks, right? So, the truck scene, full-size trucks, classic trucks, mini trucks, but there are cars there. There were some lowrider clubs, VWs. I had my 64 Lincoln there. Big shout out to Tom Bennett. I forget if I've already covered this, but got a chance to go down early on a Saturday, hang out with Tom. Tom's got a 65 custom convertible. Hang out for the day, go out to dinner that night, then cruise about 30 minutes Sunday to the to the the park. Got a chance to hang out, peeled out of there shortly after 2 o'clock, got super hot, looked like it was really going to downpour a lot, and it ended up raining pretty bad. I was on the road back home three and a half hours north by 
4.30, I think, 4, 4.30. So it was a good time. Got a chance to put some miles on the car. I haven't driven the car a whole bunch, and I need to probably cover this topic in the future on OLP, the other podcast I produce, our lifestyle podcast, talking about the mini truck scene, custom cars, stuff like that. But I'm seeing more and more people in accidents with their cars, right? Their custom stuff or like, man, I went out for a cruise and a guy hit me or someone wasn't paying attention. And I do realize this has always happened. You know, there's always been distractions in cars back to the point of, you know, I remember being younger, watching people just literally sitting in traffic, reading newspapers, right? CDs, cassettes, smoking, eating, you know, you name it. There's a lot of different things, but man, you know, I love my Lincoln's And it's like, oftentimes I'm driving them less and less just because I don't want to take it out on a Friday at five or six o'clock, you know, maybe on a weekend where there's not as much traffic, but I've also covered in the past, like this past uh, new year's day, we went to the cut shop cruise and there's like 10 or 15 of us, you know, cruising, not all Lincolns, different rides, classic cars, awesome stuff. People just cutting. I mean, the old days was like, you know, you'd see like 10 cars and you kind of just let them go. (laughs) Now it's just like, man, I got a 2022 whatever little car that goes 100 miles an hour on the interstate and it feels like it's going 50. Cut you off. Zoom, 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 zoom. Got to get somewhere. Don't care. I don't know, man. I guess call me old. I I like cruising the cars, but I I like looking at them more and I want to make sure that you know, they're taken care of. Now, I'm not one of those people that say, hey, man, I'm so scared to leave my house. You know, anything can happen. Absolutely. Totally get that. But these Lincolns, especially the convertibles, rare numbers, I'm going to cruise them when I want to cruise them and hopefully, you know, don't have any issues. Um, And I kind of just cruise low and slow in my own lane, not trying to get anywhere quick. (laughs) I don't know. That's just me. So, that's kind of where I'm at mentally. Not sure if I covered this before, but before Trucks and Cheeseburgers, Tony Boss Boland helped me. I had a pesky rear passenger side window on my 64 that over the years has given me some challenges. And now we know, you'll often hear on these convertibles that the auto drops need some work. And John Cashman would talk about that. Blair Farmer would talk about that. Um, what would happen is my the auto drops would work except for like sometimes you'll have a car where it drops, but it doesn't go back up or it doesn't drop, but it might go back up, you know, all kinds of wacky stuff. My issue was you'd close the door and you could put the window down with the switch on the door or on the driver door, but you could not put the window back up. And for the course of time, you could kind of open the door and kind of shut it a little harder or whatnot. And you would get it to eventually go, okay, boom, it went up. You know, you could hit the switch and it would go up. So long story short, inside those doors, you've got some of the components for the auto drops and there's a switch. And I think it's called like a door close switch. And it kind of tells the system, hey, the door is closed. Well, my switch was kind of going out. So we could, Tony could adjust the switch in or out and we could get it where the auto drop would work fine. But then you would try to use the window switch either on that door or the driver door to put the window up and it would not work. You address the switch more, the auto drop wouldn't work, but now you could put the window up or down on the switch. And of course, that's what I needed. 
Uh, I'm in Florida. My top is rarely going to be up unless it's raining. So I thought to myself, if I'm going to South Florida, I'm going on a cruise. For instance, when we came home, when I came home, had the car in the trailer, it was pouring rain. I'd rather that window be up, obviously, than down. So I opted for now to adjust the switch so that we could put the window up and down as needed. I'll go to Lincoln Land. I'll buy. They have a good used or a new switch to replace that switch that's bad. Price ranges, obviously, if you go used or if you go new. Once I replace that switch and we have it adjusted right, then both auto drops will work. So you push the button, you start to open the door, the window drops, what, three inches or so. Uh, You close the door, the switch says, hey, the door's closed, boom, window goes back up. So pretty close to having that worked out, but I want to thank again Tony Boss Bolin uh, at B-O-S-S-B-O-L-I-N on Instagram or Tony Boss Bolin on Facebook. He also has that 60s Lincoln Continental uh, parts group. So if you want to go in there, if you're ever looking for parts, uh, check him out there. Big shout out to Tony. Really appreciate the help. Smugglers Blues and Rita Hayworth updates is brought to you by our family. As I said earlier, Colorado Custom Wheels. If you want the best in Lincoln replica wheels made out of billet aluminum, visit coloradocustom.com. Let the team know that I sent you. And oh, by the way, they also make a Lincoln steering wheel, which is pretty cool. It's a half wrap out of billet aluminum. You can hit Michael and team up if you want to buy one, coloradocustom.com. So next, I want to give a shout out to Ryan S. He's on YouTube as FRAC Master44. Uh, he has commented a couple of times, and I know in one of my videos, even on YouTube, he said, "Hey, thanks for the shout out." He had his eye on a '66 Vert at uh, that's that was at Dallas. Uh, he was local to Dallas, so he was definitely excited to see it in person. And I think he also commented on a couple of other videos as well um, because he was boots on the ground uh, at some of these auctions. So I really appreciate the support and hopefully I didn't get you mixed up with someone else because I know it's hard for me to keep up with all the YouTube comments, the different names and stuff. Yeah. So here it is. I found it. And then there was another video where he said we were talking about the 66 and he said it wasn't as nice in person as the photos made it look. In my opinion, the pictures made it appear much better than what it actually was. Paint was fairly rough overall. Bid got to 53K. This is on this uh, convertible that I mentioned earlier that did not sell and the reserve wasn't met. Uh, He also had gotten the body 74A, the color A and the trim and the DSO. As far as being all original, I would definitely think that it is because, um, all the colors match the tags inside the door. So that was pretty cool. He had some boots on the ground feedback. So thanks to Ryan. He also had chimed in on the 65 vert. He said it was pretty beat up to his eye. Uh, Definitely looked all original. If somebody was looking for a car immediately, engine swap, repaint, you know, so on and so forth. Um, That would have been an option. He says, I bought the 65 hardtop at Mecham Houston auction here this year for 47,000 plus fees and it was much better shaped than the 66 and 65 at Dallas. So again, I say it all the time. You got to be boots on the ground. You got to be able to get eyes on a car. That is so key because right there you look at those cars. I do in the photos and I go, wow, man, these are, these are pretty nice. Now it doesn't mean that I'm going to slap my car down and buy it over the phone, but 
it just proves that even though cars look super nice, and then, oh, by the way, everybody else has a different interpretation of how that, what a car looks like. You know, we've all had a friend buy a car, possibly, and then they get home and they go, oh, this thing's junk, and man, I can't believe this and that. And if I've ever had a friend complain about that, I'm like, did you look at it? I mean, was it pitch dark outside when you looked at the car? Like, don't buy something if you don't feel comfortable. Look at it, scope it out do the damn thing. So thanks, Ryan, for the support. Appreciate it. Okay, a new segment off topic, kind of closing thoughts before we roll into my main topic of this episode. This week, uh, so I'm recording the week of September 26. So it's 59 years ago that the 65 Lincoln Continental was introduced, meaning that it was introduced into the markets probably with commercials and newspaper stuff and things like that. Uh, speaking of that, if you have any old, or, or even if you run across something on YouTube that you think that maybe I haven't seen, or you know of um, some cool old stuff, anything TV commercials or anything to do with like old advertisements, I'd love to, for you to send it to me, lincolnaddictpodcast at gmail.com. I'll make sure I give any kind of credit uh, for someone going, hey, check this out, or hey, I got access to this, or whatever. My rant this episode is simply kind of how minimal the content is that we have available to us Lincoln enthusiasts. One reason I love hanging out with Chris Dunn that owns Lincoln Land is he's just got so much knowledge, but also so much content, old posters, old this, you know, the history, different, even different books, like some books I had never seen, you know, Lincoln Land really is the Mecca and uh, I really like the 65 Lincoln Continental ads as an example, which you can often find on various kind of auction sites. Uh, you probably know, but people will often go buy old large magazine collections, you know, maybe even at um, these different, uh, you know, yard sales or an estate sale. And they basically cut the magazines up, right? I mean, they, they got their table and they they got the old school slicer and they cut those magazines up and that's what allows for them to take a magazine and then start selling all these ads from it and you know it could be pretty lucrative depending on how many of those you move but I have a good bit I don't have every single one of the 60s Lincolns but I have a lot of them uh, in terms of the old advertisements and 65 is a very cool one there's there's one I think it's a, a dad and a son and they're looking at the vert standing outside of it, and I think he's holding a tennis racket and a lamp or something kind of weird, but uh, it's always cool to me, but again, if you look at some of the other OEMs, there's so much stuff out there. The The most that I've seen that you can really collect for this stuff is obviously parts, <laughs> but I mean, you, you only need so many of those, unless you're a parts guy. Uh, cars, obviously. Uh, Hot Wheels, I think, is a big, easy one for people to get into because, you know, you can get for a dollar and, a, you know, some change, you can get a Hot Wheels, right? Uh, there's various die casts out there, other die casts. I know there's people all over the world that collect this stuff, and it blows my mind how much some of that stuff goes for it. Even the bigger die casts, the larger ones, there's different models. I was never, I never had the patience to do a model, but I do, I own a couple uh, that are put together, and uh, some people put together, you know, these, and then they sell them or whatever. So I think that's kind of cool. Uh, the dealer brochures, I think that's another thing that, for from a collecting perspective, I have most of them for the '60s, and I've shared uh, on YouTube some of those old brochures, and you know, maybe even maybe I'll do some of the owner manuals as well. The dealership stuff seems almost unattainable anymore. Um, anything Lincoln Dash Mercury. 
it, it's just, you just don't see it very often. Uh, there are a couple of people that repop or you know reproduce, if you will, the old Lincoln Mercury signs. But you can kind of usually tell, like, okay, those are repops, and there's nothing wrong with that, especially if you're looking to, you know, make your man cave or woman cave or garage cave look cooler. But you know, just the fact that it's so hard to find anything, um, I just love looking at the old photos. Going, man, what I, you know, I'd love to have one of those Lincoln Mercury signs, you know. And I recently found there's the guy that is the brother of the American Pickers. So Robert, I've always known of him, and I follow him, Robert Wolf, W-O-L-F-E. So it's R.J. Wolf Picker, Robert Wolf, on Instagram. Now, I bought something, a couple things from him in the past because, you know, he does all this picking. And I have for 64 and for 65 an unpeeled original window sticker for Lincoln Continental. So, you know, they would peel one on each side and slap that in the window and boom, that was your window sticker back then. And if I remember correctly, he's done some picks, you know, all over the country, you know, these old dealerships. And I think he one time went into a Lincoln dealership, an old school one that was maybe dilapidated and he had gotten a bunch of stuff. And that's where I got my two from him. Um, but that's still pretty rare. I mean, you, you, you rarely see that stuff. So anyways, um, RJ Wolf picker. Uh, check out his feed. I thought it was kind of cool. Um, he's got tons of neon signs and just tens and thousands, if not more, um, of just you know automobilia, as they call it. So pretty cool stuff. But anyways, my closing thought was just, hey, if you've got anything or you run across an old TV commercial or something that you're like, hey, I don't know if he's ever posted this, send it my way, Podcast at gmail.com. I'd love to see it. Uh, someone one time commented and said, man, I remember as a kid, a sun kissed commercial with a Lincoln and I spent hours looking for it. Now I had a lot of fun, a lot of nostalgia going through all of these old sun kissed commercials that I could find. It really brought me back to the eighties growing up on the lake. My parents still live in the same place. And of course, a lot of theirs were, you know, probably filmed in California, the beach setting and things like that. But it really was like a fun time. You watch those commercials and it kind of, it's hard not to bring a smile to your face. But I still never found a sun-kissed commercial with a Lincoln Continental sedan or convertible or whatever car it was. But again, those are the things I'm often looking at. Uh, If I reshare them, uh, I'll make sure I say, hey, tip of the cap to so-and-so for leading me down uh, this path to find this one. So I appreciate all the support. Let's get into our main topic. All right, so the episode title, as I mentioned at the very beginning, really cooling systems with additional tips, right? Maybe miscellaneous is what I'm going to title it. The main topic is basically that, right? And it's the cooling systems on these 1960s Lincolns. Now, specific to Lincoln, you know, there's going to be some nuances, right? Because they're uh, it's, it's a Lincoln. That's just over-engineering during that period. But really, if you think about the cooling system in a vehicle, number one, it's going to keep the car running at hopefully the normal operating temperature, how it was designed to run. But additionally, a super hot engine bay or a running super hot car can also cause VL, vapor lock is what I'm going to call it, VL, uh, which um, can cause the car to stall out. Now, those two things really aren't specific to Lincoln because with any vehicle, you could overheat 
And with a lot of vehicles, you can also experience VL, Vapor Lock. Now, if you don't know what Vapor Lock is, there's a Wikipedia page for it. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but Vapor Lock is caused by liquid fuel changing state to gas while still in the fuel delivery system of a gas-fueled internal combustion engine. This disrupts the operation of the fuel pump, causing loss of feed pressure to the carburetor or the fuel injection system, resulting in transient loss of power or complete stalling. Restarting the engine from this state could be difficult. Basically, the fuel vaporizes because it's being heated so much by the engine or the engine bay, right? The engine compartment. This could be obviously local climate, you know, think Arizona, Texas, California, Florida, uh, due, due to a boiling point at, or, or due to a boiling point at high altitude. In regions where fuels with lower viscosity and lower boiling threshold are used during the winter to improve engine startup, continued use of the specialized fuels during the summer can cause vapor lock to occur more readily. There's a ton more information out there. But I just want to let you know, if you think about, you know, hey, cooling, does it really have anything to do with fuel? I guess in a way you can draw the connection because if the car is running hot, the engine bay is getting super hot, especially on these cars. We'll talk a little bit more about it. It's going to lead to other challenges, right? Vapor lock is one of them, VL, if I can get that acronym right. Now, look, here's a high level of the cooling systems, and I am going to drill down on some key things that you need to know about these cars that you have to do. But like one of my best friends, Paul, one of my oldest and best friends from middle school, he's a Mopar guy, by the way. He's once told me, heat is the enemy of any engine, okay? So I'm not a drag race guy. I'm not, um, you know, even a street racer, right? But anybody that's been around these cars, whether you're into that kind of hobby, you're into racing or whatever, we all know that I think even just any person daily driving a car knows you can't overheat a car. It's not a good thing, right? So heat is the enemy of any engine. So if you think about a normal setup, uh, there's an article on idols.com, I-D-O-L-Z.com, engine cooling system, how it works in the main components. So you basically have the radiator, right? That acts as the heat exchanger. You're taking all of this hot, this heat, and you're transferring it, you know, from the metal over to, you know, basically the coolant. And it's going through this cycle and it's going to dissipate that heat. That's the whole thought process, right? You're also going to have the water pump. That um, basically assists once the coolant goes into the radiator, and now it's somewhat cooled off, you're going to have that cycle, the water pump pushes or sends that fluid back to the cylinder block. You're going to have a thermostat. We all have heard of those, right? The thermostat can act as a valve for the coolant, and it only allows it to pass through the radiator when the certain temperature has been exceeded. So it's really that basic concept. The way my mind always works is I kind of want to know how stuff works. And really, when you sit down, if your car's overheating, you're kind of going, okay, is you got the basic concept. You've got the fluid transfer from here to here. It cools down. It goes back in. It comes out hot, and it just keeps repeating, right? Rinse, repeat, recycle, whatever that whole saying is. Now, you have other components, right? You have freeze plugs. You have your head gaskets. 
you know, on these engines, you, of course, you have your head on each side, and then you've got that gasket. That gasket is going to make sure that the coolant can pass through and do what it has to do, all these different ports, but you can't have that coolant or you don't want it to mix with your oil because then you're going to have other issues, right? You have your radiator overflow tank, so we'll talk more about that, and then you have your hoses. But at the same time, you could really break it down more. You've got a fan. You have a fan clutch. If it's an AC car, we're talking 60s Lincolns. You also have a fan shroud if it's an AC car. Maybe sometimes you'll even see the fan shrouds on these Lincolns without AC. I've seen them both ways. You'll have a belt. You know, you'll have those normal things. But I think most of us kind of get where I'm going. Now, what's the difference in the Lincolns? Because, uh, like I said earlier, it's a Lincoln. Number one, they do not have, for these 60 Lincolns, they don't have an overflow tank. They instead use an expansion tank. Okay. This also means there's no normal radiator cap, so to speak, on top of the radiator. Uh, the coolant is basically filled via the expansion tank. So if you think about on a lot of vehicles, especially newer ones, you know, you've got a radiator cap on the right or left side when you open the hood. A lot of old school cars, you know, they had it kind of in the middle. I don't think we really see that very often. But that's one thing you won't see on these Lincolns if it's pretty much stock. When you when you open it, you're going to be like, what's this little canister looking thing, right? That's the expansion tank. That does have a cap on it. And that is where you would put the fluid in or the coolant. Now, the additional thing, if you think about what's different in Lincolns, is you have two mini thermostats, as they're often referred to as, that were used from, I think it was just 61 to 65. Someone would have to confirm, and I should have did this before I started, but I didn't get a chance. The Mel engines from 58 to 60, don't recall off the top of my head if they use the mini thermostats. They may have, but we're talking about 61 to 65 right now. In 66, with them going to the 462, they abandoned using the mini thermostats. So the mini thermostats are overkill. You do not need them. And I know some people go, well, where are they at? Okay, you have to take the water pump literally off the front of the engine. You've got you know your two bolts on each side, just like a standard water pump. And when that comes off, a lot of people are just like, I don't see anything. Well, normally when you take a water pump down, you're going to see the two holes, right? The inlet and the outlet, right, right and left. On these Lincolns, there's going to be, it's almost going to be flat there because there's going to be this mini thermostat. People are like all the time, like, well, I don't see it. Well, it's right there because you can't put your finger through that porthole, right? So basically those can be ripped out. So we'll talk a little bit more about it. But bottom line is those are one of the things that are just overkill. Lincoln used these as they did some overkill stuff on, you know, different things and they, they're not needed. So some would say, well, you know, why rip them out? Well, think about it. If they were to, to get stuck closed, you've got no coolant flowing, right? There's just no point. I mean, you really want coolant flowing. You, you need your main thermostat, not these two minis. So there's three on this car. There's the two minis that we're talking about and you need your main thermostat. Bottom line is you want that heat transfer to happen. So you want the cooler uh, coolant that's been in your, let's say your radiator cooling down. You want that to flow back in and you want all the hot stuff to flow out to the radiator and you want that to continue to happen. All right. 
So bottom line is, I can tell you, everybody will tell you, uh, around these cars, you do not need those many thermostats. John Cashman, Blair Farmer, Teresa, Chris Dunn, everyone will pretty much tell you. Now, some would argue, hey, do I need to blow my front engine apart just to rip those out? That's up to you. I would say probably not, but we're going to talk about a little bit later how one thing on these cars leads to another. If you're going to do this, you might as well do that, right? So I'm not saying, hey, go jack your car up right now and start ripping it apart just to get these out. But there, there's something that can just go bye-bye. You don't need them, right? So that's one thing that's different. The other thing, again, going back is there's no overflow tank. It's, it's an expansion tank. Now, number three, what can and tend to happen is the passages behind where the water pump mounts. So let's say you take the water pump out. You've got um, the mini thermostat on the right and the mini thermostat on the left. Okay, there's one on each side. That Those ports can develop like rot or rust, whatever you want to call it, basically rust. And that causes, from everything I understand, the coolant not to flow the way it should. Okay, so... The bottom line is when you're swapping the water pump or you're tearing the front engine apart or something such as like maybe you're going to redo your timing gear, be sure, or let's say you're going to have a mechanic do it, be sure to have them check to see how the ports look or feel, right? So you, sometimes you got to stick your finger and you kind of got to go, eh, it's, it's solid, it's all fine, right? But if you kind of feel and it starts to feel like it's rusting away, you might as well put the water diverters in. So we'll talk about that. But to me, if you're going to do some of the work and you're going to pull this apart, well, if you're going to do, if you're going to pull the water pump off, you might as well take the mini thermostats out. And if you're going to take those out, you need to check to see if there's any rust in those, those inlets, right? If you will. Bottom line is if they're nasty, go ahead and install the new ports. We'll talk about it. There's a catch and you go, why is there a catch? Well, it's a Lincoln. Okay, this is the stuff that drives you crazy. Now, these items that you would install, so you take the mini thermostats out. Let's say you put your finger in and you go, man, it feels pretty crusty and it's pretty worn out in there and it is just all rusted out. Okay, well, at this point, you call Lincoln Land and you order water diverters. And these water diverters are made out of brass or aluminum. And they're basically installed right into those ports and they allow for the, the coolant to flow better because you don't have, you know, these rusted out pieces. So the catch is there's two different sizes. Now, easiest way to measure your opening is with a micrometer, okay? Now, I did not have a micrometer until I ran into this and I wanted to double check. So I went to Harbor Freight and I bought a cheap one. Now, uh, I think I was paid 20 or 30 bucks for it. You can borrow one if you've got a buddy. But that was the easiest way for me. And I was like, okay, boom. You could also take, obviously, a tape measure or something like that to measure it. I forget the two different sizes, but you need to know what the opening is, right? From left to right or top to bottom. So measure that, call Lincoln Land, and order those. Now, I had challenges, I think, a few years ago, a batch of those that were made for whatever reason. I ordered the right ones that they still didn't fit, so I don't want to go down that bunny trail because I think that's all been flushed out, so to speak. Uh, no pun intended. But the bottom line is if, if your ports where that water pump mounts 
if they're all nasty and crusty in there, you need to put the water diverters, okay? Bottom line, just going to leave it at that. Now, here's a couple other things. The engine bay is super large on these cars, right? Way bigger, in my opinion, than all the new stuff, right? I mean, we see that all the time. You look in a new car engine bay, and you're like, there's no room. These cars, I mean, there's room for days, right? They're big cars. Where the exhaust manifolds rest at in the engine bay, right? So you got your block. You can look down. You see your spark plug wires. You see your manifold on the left and the right, okay? These engine bays get super Super, super hot. Okay, if you don't believe me, get one of the, um, get a digital thermostat, right? The little one that you can kind of just shoot with the little laser deal and shoot it on the manifold after, let's say you drive your car and you park it, you turn it off, you get out, you pop the hood, shoot, dude, shoot the laser right there. You're going to see. Now, granted, you could do this on any vehicle and you could go, yeah, the manifolds are going to get hot. I totally get it. But a lot of Lincoln owners will tell you that the, these cars, the, the engine bays just get super hot. Uh, as an example, one thing Chris Dunn and I do, and I know he's always done this, is like when he gets home, he'll kind of pop his hood and let some of that hot air just evacuate from the engine bay. It's not a bad thing to do. Now, now if you think about where the fuel lines are coming, they're coming from the back of the car, they're coming down the driver's side. Uh, up near where the rocker panels are at. So it goes all the way down that run. And there's like a pinch pinch molding up underneath there, and they're all nice and tucked away. When they get up to the wheel well area, they go behind the splash shield. They kind of go over where the wheel's at, all tucked away very nicely. You don't see anything. And then there's this little opening up in the engine bay, almost to the very front of the car. And you have your lines, the hard lines, they come up to there, and then you've got your... A hose, you have two hoses. You have the smaller one and the bigger one, and these are your fuel lines, uh, your fuel line hoses. So you have your fuel delivery, and then you have the smaller one, which is the return line. So any fuel, uh, hypothetically, that, that isn't used and, and sent to the carb, it can kind of flow all the way back through that. I think it's an eighth-inch line or something like that. It's, it's, it's tiny. But where those two lines come in through that opening... And they go from the hard line to the fuel line. They then kind of uh, go right over to your mechanical fuel pump, which is kind of almost directly in the middle of the car, right? In the engine bay, all the way up towards the front of the hood. From the factory, you're going to have, there's some insulation type material that are on those. And if you don't have it, you want to put something there. You can look at photos. Other people probably already have them there unless someone forgot to put them back. People also swear by those lines or, or, or that insulation because it's helping to keep the lines from absorbing some of that heat from the engine bay. Now, when I first got into these Lincolns and I learned, uh, you know, about the fuel pump and, you know, and kind of understanding the mechanical fuel pumps and everything, and people talked about VL, vapor lock, I thought to myself, yeah, is it really a big deal? I mean, these people drove these cars back in the day. They didn't have an issue, but it's really a thing. Now, Carter stopped making the three-port fuel pumps for whatever reason I don't know. And I've talked about this in my videos. I've even reached out to Carter one time, and I was like, hey, I got a question. Why did you guys stop making them? Oh, we still make them. They sent me a photo, and it was a two-port with a T in it. I'm like, that's not the same. People swear by the three-port Carter mechanical fuel pumps. 
Now, I've seen people have a two-port with a T that has the, the return line teed into it, and they never have an issue. Hey, my thing is this. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, okay, for the most part. Uh, sure, you want to be a little preventive maintenance, but that that's you know one of those things where if you have, especially if you live in a warm climate or you live in a place where it's super hot, ask other Lincoln owners and say, hey, have you ever had an issue with the car stalling or the vapor lock? I heard this guy talking about it, you know, this and that. And look at the, you can tell if it's a two-port fuel pump, on top of it, there'll be two screws, okay? That's usually the easiest indicator to go, oh, that's a two-port, because the three-port doesn't have those two screws on top. So that's something I like to kind of throw out there. This is kind of in that other section that I'm talking about right now. Now, on a super hot day, again, like I said earlier, think California, Arizona, Texas, Florida, you basically have all of this heat in the engine bay. The fuel pump itself, right in front of the engine right up towards the front of the hood, it gets super hot to the point that the fuel is almost like boiling, okay? It vaporizes before it even makes it into the engine. And this is where you get the vapor lock. Um, I had this issue in my 64 when I first got it running and driving years ago. And we drove it on a cool cruise and it was even a nice, cool evening. We, we actually went over and hung out with some people and then we did a quick cruise through Clearwater and then boom, we were like, hey, let's get out of here. Too many tourists. Uh, and driving down the highway, totally fine because you got that flow coming across the radiator and it's kind of trying to do its thing. You come to a red light, that thing's wanting to conk out. And my friend, TC, shout out to her, she kept telling me, and I was still learning some things at that time, she said, hey, I guarantee your radiator is totally clogged. You know, you're not getting that flow that you need. And sure enough, she was right. I remember taking the radiator out, feeling how, I mean, they're already kind of heavy. But if you're not getting the flow that you need, and that engine bay is building a lot of heat, you're you're potentially going to overheat your car and or have the vapor lock issue. So where do issues arise? So like I said, my good friend TC, she's reinforced this to me. You buy a car, let's say it's 30, 40, I'm going to say 40 to 60 years old, Right. You can just assume that the radiator's all sludged up with crap. You know, think decades of different coolants, uh, you know, possibly even just putting regular people that put regular water, maybe not using distilled water, whatever. They just get nasty inside those old uh, radiators. Uh, if there's no good flow within the radiator, well, that's not a good thing, right? So you can potentially have your radiator, take it to a local radiator shop. They can pressure test it, make sure there's no leaks. They can do a flush on it. They can also recore it. Now, in the past, I got a price to recore my old radiator, and it was something like, this is a few years back, it was something like 400 and something dollars. And I was like, well, why would I, other than if you want your car to look 100% factory, right, I was like, why would I do that if I could go buy this other aluminum radiator, right, which is better to dissipate heat, it's cheaper, and it just was a no-brainer thing. Now, another issue that can arise is you could have a bad or worn out water pump. So just remember, water pumps don't last forever. And if yours is leaking, that's an indicator that it's going bad. Feedback, do not throw yours away. Don't throw anything away on these Lincolns. If you need to get another one, call Lincoln Land. They're going to ask you uh, for the core. You have to send yours back. You can rebuild them. They're a pain in the ass. They can be rebuilt. I wouldn't do it myself. I've seen someone do it. It's a pain. Just hit up Lincoln Land and get another one. 
the mini thermostats. I talked about those earlier. Take those out. In a few minutes before I wrap up, I'm going to talk about how the one thing leads to another. And sometimes you go, well, I want to do this and this and this, and then you're going to end up doing a ton of stuff. That's what I did. But the mini thermostats, if you're going to start really kind of taking the water pump out, installing a new one, that needs to be on your list. Take them out. That's going to make sure that you're getting the flow you need. The freeze plugs. Now, I didn't speak much about this above. I did mention it. Over time, the freeze plugs can become loose and dislodged, rust, rot, whatever you want to call it. They don't last forever. So if you think about in the side of your block from the casting process of that block, there's these different holes in the block. And if you've never had an issue, like many of us in many vehicles, you never, if you never had an issue with a freeze plug, you're just like, whatever. I mean, I live in Florida. I'm like, what the hell is a freeze plug, right? And um, what can happen is if those freeze plugs kind of rot out or rust out, you'll start to leak coolant. And I know like if the few people I know that have had issues on these cars where um, trying to change a freeze plug while the engine's in can be a pain. I mean, obviously it's easier if you have a lift and things like that, but that is an issue that can arise. And if you're pissing out coolant and you're leaking coolant, that's not a good thing. And uh, it can lead to other stuff, but yeah, freeze plugs, of course, that's something that if you were going to take your engine out and have it all redone, that's something that's going to get redone. They're going to put new freeze plugs in, and that's what Tony and his dad did on my 64. Naturally, that's what you would do if the engine's getting rebuilt. Uh, the radiator hoses should be changed. So I've seen a hose not that long ago. I can't remember if it was a parts car or if it was a customer car that Tony was working on. The hose, if you can believe this, was completely collapsed in one section. It literally was one of those old school hoses where they have a, almost looks like a, I call it a slinky on the inside, and it's that metal thing, and it almost looked like someone took it and put like a hundred pound book on it for like a month, and then took the book off or the the weight or whatever you want to call it, and it was collapsed right in the middle, and as soon as we took it apart and we were looking at it, we're like, well, this is not good. Again, that flow nobody would say, Hey, yeah, that's a good thing. So change your radiator hoses. There's a few different brands out there. You can buy, I forget the main brand. If it's Gates, I can't remember the name, but go to your auto parts store and, and don't get the ones that are the universal ones that you twist. They literally make the same ones that are pre-bent and replace those bad boys. Okay. Thermostat. Now there is a great debate over the thermostat. Okay on what the right one is. Some swear by running a higher or lower temp thermostat. I always try to think, hey, these cars back in the day, people turned the key, they drove the cars, they parked them. You know, they they didn't have, you know, this argument back then, right? Um, the stock thermostat is what I run. I want to say it's a 185. And I know some people that th they think that's crazy and they're like, no, no, I run this and I never have issues. Look, they're your cars or potentially a car that you're going to buy in the future. You can do what you want. But what I would say to do is get one of the maintenance manuals. You could buy these on eBay. You can buy an original one or you can buy uh, a repo, repop. And section 11, I'm looking at a 65 right now, has everything you need to know about the radiator, the supply tank, the thermostat, now, what it says in here is a standard, this is on page, I don't know what page I'm on. It's 11-13, 11-3, sorry. 
A standard high-temperature thermostat is located in the intake manifold coolant outlet. When non-permanent type antifreeze is to be used in the cooling system, the high-temperature thermostat must be removed and replaced, this is getting kind of technical, by a low-temperature thermostat to eliminate the possibility of the cooling system boiling off the antifreeze. Also, two thermostats are located in, as I said, the front face of the cylinder block, one in each cylinder bank. So listen, I would suggest running the right thermostat, whatever the direct replacement is. I want to say it's 180, 185. Uh, there's another section in there that talks about, and I should probably try to find it. There's another section I was reading earlier where it mentions the um, the different temps that it will open. And I think it was at 180, I want to say it was at 185. Yeah, it's on 11-5. And what it says is main thermostats. Um, it says it opens at 157 to 164, fully open 184 to 186. So that, that's going to put you about the 185. A high temperature opens at 185 to 192, fully open at 212. So that's why there could be some debate because literally it talks about when non-permanent type antifreeze is used. Listen, I don't know anybody that's going, hey, it's the summer months. Now, listen, I live in Florida, though. Let me add that disclaimer. We don't have winter like some people do. And I doubt some people are taking these cars out literally in the dead of the winter driving them around. I think you'd be kind of crazy <laughs> crazy to do that. Maybe that's what you want to do. But in that book right there, it talks about different thermostats, right? So you could have, I could see where somebody's like, well, you know, I live in Alaska and when I would get up to warm up my car, I would do this and I would do that. Hey, totally get it. I live in Florida. I don't change my coolant until it's time to change maybe the coolant, maybe doing some preventive maintenance. And you're going to have different people talk about and, I, and I'll get a discussion going in the Lincoln Attic Facebook group to see what you guys think. Do you think a 185 is good for where you live? Are you uh, a person that swears by a different thermostat? So, again, I don't want to go into the science of that. But bottom line is, like I said, you've got this this hot coolant coming out of the block. It's going to go into the radiator. You want it to cool down. That thermostat is going to kick on and say, okay, now it's time to run the cycle. The uh, coolant is to a certain temperature. Boom, let it back through. That's kind of the basic concept. That's just the way my brain works. Again, not very scientific. Something that you can do if somebody thought their thermostat was bad or let's say you buy a brand new one, you can literally put it in boiling water on your stove and you can take the, I always want to say thermostat gun, the infrared thermometer gun, whatever you want to call it, and you can shoot it on there and you can, and then when it gets to the temp based upon the, therm, uh, the thermostat that you purchased, you'll see it pop open. I mean, that's the basic concept. That's how you can test it if you needed to. Uh, the temp gauge. Okay, so trust me, I know this one. Uh, and it's not going to be that much longer. So if you're sticking with me, thank you. We'll keep this going here a few more minutes. The temp gauge can and will be bad at some point. Okay, if your gauge is wrong, you're going to think there's an issue when there isn't. Or you're going to not realize there is an issue when there actually is. Okay, so let's talk about this a minute. My 64, so 64, 65, you've got your four pods. One of those pods is the temp. When I would come to a stop in my 64, 
right? This is after I first got it running and driving, kind of were going through some things, you know, kind of getting everything dialed in. I would pull up to a stoplight and the temp gauge would go right from the middle all the way to the furthest point to the right. That I thought the car was like, I was like, this isn't good, okay? So it had me kind of freaked out. So I was talking to Blair and Blair was like, well, let's get the infrared thermometer, okay? And what we were able to do is with someone sitting in the car with the foot on the brake or steering column rebuilt, let the car run and use the digital or the infrared thermometer and shoot it around the manifold where the, on the outside, of course, about where the thermostat's at, okay? And by doing that, we were able to kind of ascertain that, hey, everything is working as it should. Nothing's overheating, the, around the time it gets to that temp, now it's it's not scientifically perfect, right? Because the 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 thermostat is inside. It's in, you know it's it, it's in the front of the intake manifold. But if I'm shooting the the infrared thermometer gun right on top of that, it's going to give me give or take a, a similar reading, right? So long story short, we're able to kind of check that and go, okay, yeah, it's it's hitting that, and then boom, you know, it, it was cycling, it was doing its thing, but Without doing some extra checking, basically the gauge is bad. Now, Blair's really good, and he can adjust those gauges, and he did that on my fuel gauge, and, and he has the instruments that he can do that, and, and he, you know, adjusts them. But my gauge is bad, okay? It's just, it, it, it we weren't able to fix it. So you have two choices then. You go, okay, well, number one, well, three choices, I guess. You just go, whatever, I don't care which made me not the best one. Number two, you can source another gauge, right, from a part supplier or maybe buy an NOS, new old stock. New old stock doesn't guarantee it's going to work perfect, right? Keep that in mind. Or number three, you can go to Dakota Digital. You can get their gauges. I know some people don't like the look of the Dakota Digital gauges. You can get white or black. I do like them. I haven't installed them yet. I'm going to in my 64. kind of came to that realization. I think I'm going to do the black ones. But to me, here's the thing. You put this time, you put this effort, if you do some of the things I talked about above, you're going to have a fun car to cruise. You want to make sure you're not destroying the thing because you know of an issue. So with the Dakota Digital Gauges and the new senders that they have that you end up installing into the same ports, uh, it's going to take some work, obviously, to install the gauges and whatnot, but at least you know where you're at. Now, I would assume someone else has probably come up with, well, you know, I, I did another, uh, you know, temp sender, you know, style deal and I've got a separate gauge for it. I mean, yeah, there's other things you could do. I mean, don't get me wrong. But, I mean, the, for the factory, you're either going to want to fix the gauge, have it repaired, have it replaced, or I guess an, a step further would be, hey, let me go with the aftermarket gauges. Dakota Digital has been around a very long time. That's an option as well. So that's the temp gauge. And then lastly, the gaskets. There's some people that are going to say where the expansion take on the front of the engine, where it mounts to the intake manifold, there's some people that swear by doubling up that gasket. Okay, they'll say that it will leak there. There's other people that say, nah, you don't need to do that. Just clean it real good. You're fine. Whatever. The gasket's not. That's one of the things that doesn't cost a lot on these cars. You can double it up. But that's just one thing, you know, again, the gasket's got to be good uh, or you're going to be leaking coolant and whatnot. So those are a few things in terms of issues that that I'm kind of aware of. 
And the other custom stuff you could potentially do is aluminum radiator. Now, I'm going to put a link in the description of this podcast episode to an article that Pat Tian did. Uh, he did a write-up, rather, on the LincolnForum.net, and he, I ended up running the same setup he did. So I ran an aluminum radiator. Champion started making them, and they're sold out. There are There is another alternative out there, okay? Uh, you can, It might be a Champion radiator, but you can buy a radiator from, like, I think, like a Mustang or something. Um, it's not going to look stock, you know, you're going to have this aluminum radiator and then you're going to end up like with what I, if you do the same thing I did, I ran a 3300 CFM electric fan that pushes a lot of air. Okay. Same one Pat ran, you, you end up running an overflow tank, but what happens is the radiator that I have, it doesn't have a cap on it. So I guess hypothetically you could leave the expansion tank, but I eliminated the expansion tank and I have the, um, the water neck comes right out of the intake manifold. You have a little bit of the hose. Then you have uh, an inline filled f- where you have a cap. And then you have another piece of hose that goes into your radiator. So not 100% factory accurate. Totally get it. But I will tell you this. Knock on wood. My car, is, my car has been fantastic since I did all that stuff. So from a, from a custom standpoint, you've got the option of the aluminum radiator. If you could find one with a fuel filler neck or with a coolant filler neck, then you wouldn't have to do the the makeshift thing that I did, that Pat did, but that's going to be all in the article. I think he even put the part numbers and he bought it through Jegs or Summit. All the stuff, boom, came in one box. Uh, you could remove the expansion tank, which again, I know not everybody swears by. Other people will tell you, hey, that's, you don't need it. Other people will say you're crazy for removing it. I removed mine through that process I just mentioned. Never had an issue. Electric fan or fans, I have one. I looked at all the reviews on Summit and for that 3300 CFM fan that I have, so many people said, man, I had issues with my insert whatever type of car, Chevy, Ford, Lincoln, whatever. And after I got this fan, I had no issues. Like you had people with like, oh, I take my my Camaro to the track and I, I could not get this thing to stop overheating. Boom, this fan did it. So, Pat, thank you for recommending that fan that you did to me because I tell you what, although it's not factory accurate, I know some people don't like that, I enjoy driving my car. Even though what I said earlier, I don't want to mess up my car while I'm driving it, I do enjoy driving it, and I want it to stay cool, and that fan has really helped me. So, in closing, something to think about. When starting a project on your car, one thing is going to lead to another. So, this is kind of my closing thought. Let's say you plan to replace, as a guy commented not too long ago in the Lincoln forum, he said, hey, I'm gonna, I want to do my timing gear. Anybody got some feedback for me? So I said, well, hold on. If you're going to do your timing gear, right, the timing gears, you're going to start taking things apart. Maybe you're going to pull the radiator. You're going to have this out. Why not replace the water pump? If you're going to replace the water pump, because it's all going to be off, why not remove the mini thermostats? Well, that's going to automatically lead to clean up and new gaskets, right? But if you're going to do this, do you then maybe say, you know what? I'm going to have the whole front of the engine pulled apart or the shop down the road is. Do I maybe replace the oil pump and the oil pump rod? Okay, there's a hardened oil pump rod. I'll go over that in the future. And you go, well, you know, might as well do that, right? Do you see where this leads to, right? If you're going to do this like I did, 
it's, you know, you're going to end up going, well, man, I might as well. And before you knew it, that's why I pulled the engine on my 64. I said, you know, if I'm going to do all this, I want to do new freeze plugs. I want to, you know, get the intake manifold uh, hot tanked. And then I want to get it powder coated or I want to get it painted. I want to get it cleaned up. I want to do this. And it all leads to <laughs> pulling the engine. Right. So again, I know that's not going to be for everyone, but you have to think about if you're going to do this, what else should I do? And to me, there's no point to do the timing setup without going, you know what, let me just throw on a brand new rebuilt water pump. Okay, boom, it's done. Because if you pull that stuff apart once, you don't want to do it again in a year or in two years, you know, kind of future-proof yourself a little bit. Now, I did do a video on my YouTube channel in the past where I kind of talk about some of the same stuff as I'm looking at a 462 sitting in my shop at my house. So I kind of give you a little bit of visual to say, well, if you're going to do this, you might as well do that. And that's where the whole thing starts to kind of go downhill from there. Uh, John Cashman told me a story years ago. I'll share it in the future, the whole story. But he kind of talked about an issue that he was having with his car overheating. And bottom line, it was the people that he bought the exhaust from. The younger person that had, I guess, in, in uh, built the exhaust, they had put maybe the resonators backwards. Or they did something where basically the exhaust wasn't exiting the vehicle. Okay. And John was like scratching his head. He had all this new exhaust put on. He goes, man, the car's overheating, whatever. But the reason why I say that is it can be the wackiest thing sometimes. So you have to really um, peel back the onion and you have to kind of go, well, wait a minute, let me check this. Well, is my radiator hose collapsed? Well, let me do this. You know, oh, these have mini thermostats. I wonder if those are, you know, frozen and it's not getting the coolant. Like you have to go down that bunny trail. And sometimes, when you do, like John had to figure out, it took him a while to go. I mean, John's the Lincoln God, man. He's the guy, right? I mean, he, he worked on these cars for a lot of, a long time, traveled the country, made a career out of it. But even John was scratching his head when he told me the story. He's like, man, he's like, what the hell? I think it was a coupe. And he's like, what the hell's going on? And it was something that wasn't even factory. It was like, you know, he got the exhaust replaced. And it was like the person that built it did something weird and the exhaust wasn't flowing out the way it was supposed to. And it was an issue. So, again, don't beat yourself up. Sometimes you just got to stop, think it through, start taking things apart, unfortunately, and try to figure it out. These cars are 60 plus years old. They're not going to be perfect, certainly. I hope that you enjoyed the episode. Uh, I know I probably forgot some stuff. I kind of rambled on a little bit. But bottom line is, hopefully I gave you some ideas on some things to do to your cars. And certainly if your car's running great, keep enjoying it. But if and when you come to the point that you say, you know what, I want to do this. Write down on paper or pull out your notes app on your phone and start to go, well, should I do this? Mm, what's the pros and cons? Well, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this. And go through it. See what works best for you. Start buying the parts. Become friends with Lincoln Land. That's the source. And I think that's it. Uh, I want to thank Devious Customs, Colorado Customs, Griot's Garage, and Steel Rubber for the continued support. Great people. Of course, AccuAir as well. Uh, couldn't do what I do without all of these fine folks. Stay on the rise, everyone. And let your friends and family know Lincoln County Podcast is on the rise. ODB, be out of here.